Hello, this is Hope, and you're listening to Covert Castaway. Welcome to my weekly diary of what I learn and how I cope with transitioning to life as a liveaboard cruiser. How on earth are we ever going to be able to afford to quit our jobs and live on a boat? How are we going to be able to afford that boat? Welcome to Covert Castaway. Today, I'll share the six steps we took in creating a financial strategy where we could connect our sailing dream to cold, hard dollars. In the beginning, it seemed impossible as we were facing four kids entering college, trying to save for retirement, and the everyday budgeting for a family of six. But to my surprise, it could be done, and I'm going to share how we did it in this two-part series. Growing up without much, financial insecurity has plagued me. And while I can be lavish with gifts for people I love, I tend to be conservative when it comes to my own financial matters. My process for anything of financial substance is to parkour my way through the numbers nine ways to Sunday until I satisfy myself that even in the face of an apocalypse, I can feed my family. We've met and read about many cruisers who aren't burdened by such mental hopscotch, but I am not one of them. When we began to wonder what it would actually take to have a live-aboard lifestyle, objections and obstacles hurled through my brain like a meteor shower. I ordered the book World Cruising Destinations, but just flipping through the pages, I get slammed back to earth by all the work I had to get done by Monday and the thought of kids going to college. What am I doing? This is crazy. That was me. Luckily, my husband has an imagination bigger than mine, and we always ended up wandering back to the book of destinations and also wondering if we could afford it, like ever. Sailing was once a retirement plan, something way off in the distance. As I mentioned before, we had an experience that made us realize how delicate and precious time was and the reality of our bodies aging by the minute. We started to ask ourselves what it would take if we wanted to leave tomorrow. Shifting to that mindset helped us break through the mental hurdle of doing the hard work of figuring out a financial plan, and suddenly everything became much more tangible. We were optimistic about leaving once all the kids left for college, but I needed more than optimism and hope that things would work out in the end financially. I needed to satisfy myself that if the boat sank and we were penniless, there would be some way to rebuild a life that would take us into old age with some decent healthcare options. So first things first, I had to get serious about a budget. Like most people, I do this usually sometime in late April every year after tax day when I decide, okay, it's time for us to look at the way we spend our money. But the discipline goes out the window the second summer hits. Okay, now I'm going to cover how we went about developing our financial strategy. So step one, determine current household spending and pre-live-aboard budget. The first thing I did was set out to map a 10-year budget, five years to transition and save, and five years living on a boat. At the time I started it, we had five years to go with the kids in some form of school, one in college, one getting ready to enter college, one just entering high school, and one in middle school. Our children, two of his and two of mine, were spread out roughly two years apart with various forms of financial need. This meant drivers with cars, insurance, college, mortgage, bills, groceries, activities, everything you can imagine. This was a big mental barrier I had to break down in my head because thinking of all of the things we spent money on was just really overwhelming. Some families do household budgets, some don't. 
Up to that point, we never really did since we managed our own money matters separately as a blended family. He paid his stuff, I paid mine. We took actuals of our fixed expenses and projected those forward, things like mortgage, insurance, taxes, utilities, all that kind of thing. And we added our investment expenses, like money we put into retirement or savings. Then we each documented what we called individual temporary expenses, which included things we could each be paying for for a fixed period of time, you know, like college or um, if we were going to buy our kids a car or go in on a car with our kids. We also added a section for individual discretionary because it seems I buy more things on my credit card than he does. So there's some self-awareness gain there. What mapping a long-term budget did is it helped us think about how much we would have to save up in order to not work for a period of time and pay all of our bills while we were gone. Initially, we set a target of just a couple years to be on our sailing sabbatical, which eventually evolved in in this budget planning process to five, and now we've even looked at it as a 10-year plan over the course of this process. The second step was estimating the cost to cruise for five years. In order to map out the cost of cruising in the second time horizon, you have to do the estimations to determine what it will cost you, of course, to live on a boat. There are two phases of this for us. The first phase was general costs. Then we had to go back and do one after we determined what boat we were budgeting for. In the first pass, we did rough estimates. Then we went back later and got more specific based on the type of boat we ended up deciding on. It took quite a bit of time to research the actual cost of living on a boat. There's a lot of conflicting information out there about liveaboard expenses, and it depends on what kind of life you want to live. So we just picked one based on how we live today, what we eat, and what we do in our everyday life, which actually was pretty easy because we're pretty boring. But for this purpose, we just went on our current habits so as not to pretend to ourselves that we would suddenly change once we got on a boat. There was a lot of information about living and maintenance expenses, but not enough detail for me on what it would take to move on to and operate the boat. So I spent some time tracking this information down. Here's the general buckets we had to consider. Regular living expenses. Things in this category include groceries, entertainment and tours, local transportation, household, personal items, regular medical insurance or out-of-pocket medical expenses, catastrophic medical insurance, gifts or other gear types of things that we would buy along the way, and travel. So flights, hotel, car, things to either get back home or get across uh, continents or, or whatever it was we were doing. The second bucket was sailing operating expenses. That included things like shipping, marina and moorings, periodic boat storage, customs fees, canal or special passage fees, communications and internet, which was way bigger than I thought it would be actually, weather services, Charts, guides, flags, fuel, diesel, propane, regular boat insurance, and supplemental insurance for, say, when we did passages. Then there was maintenance expenses, and this really depends on the type of boat. Spare parts, oil, haul-out, tools, services and repairs, and any special purchases. So step three, we estimated the cost of the boat. It means you have to kind of decide what kind of boat you want and whether you're buying used or new. Cash, finance, or boat as a business. I've covered how we determine the boat in previous podcasts, but the net of it is, to do our budget modeling, I chose to pick the most financially aggressive option. 
The logic was that if we had picked the hardest one to achieve, at least we would get somewhere within the range of what we wanted to do. For this, I estimated not only the boat, but the options and all the equipment. The scenario was to buy a new catamaran, fully equipped, and try to pay cash. Oy. First, there's estimating the initial costs of getting onto a new boat and undocking the lines. A caveat. This is our own scenario estimating for a new catamaran, so the budget, of course, here will vary, but just so there's some kind of comparison. I'll do a whole podcast about outfitting separately, but here are the general categories for now. For the boat. Base cost of the boat. Manufacturer options. Depending on the boat, these are more or less included. Broker options. Additional commissioning, rigging, outfitting, installation, things like that. Other major equipment like sails, customizations, hull treatments, dinghy, spares. Transit and commissioning fees on top of everything else, even if you're picking up your boat at the boatyard. These are costs that get the boat lifted into the water. Personal sailing equipment, life jackets, safety equipment, first aid, etc. Household things like tools and recreation equipment, dishes, linens, paddle boards, things like that. Registration and any additional flag fees that you have to pay upon the initial sale of the boat. Sales tax, initial insurance fees, legal and accountant fees. We didn't budget for this in the beginning, but I would definitely say to budget for this because you're going to want advice that you may not have ever thought that you needed advice on before. Like, do you put the boat in an LLC or what are some tax implications of a particular option you might be looking at? Travel cost to visit the factory, travel cost to visit your dealer or commissioning agent or other suppliers, including hanging out during the commissioning process. You'll want to be there in person for that. Shipping costs for anything you want to take with you. We do know people who packed a container and had the container shipped. Packing boxes or flying with a lot of suitcases is also an option. Step four, determining best and worst case scenarios for reentry. What I also wanted to estimate is what we would need to do to eventually come back to living on land, assuming at some point we would want to come back. It caused a lot of discussion about what we do at the house, sell, rent, etc., and what a Pandora's box that was, and I've already done a couple podcasts on that topic. I'll keep this a little bit more bounded to the financial nuts and bolts. First of all, I wasn't going to sell the house to buy the boat. We live in California, so the house is the retirement plan. To really understand the long-term implications of the house decision, I needed to map out various options. Try for a moonshot to pay off the house and rent it. This would give us good rental income while we were gone and fund us for an indefinite period of time. And it would also involve a miracle dropping from the sky. But hey, I had to look at it. Keep the house indefinitely at current fixed expenses. Explore different mortgage rates and potential for refi. Rent the house to cover expenses. Sell the house, put the money in investments, figure out where to live later. Sell the house, downsize, buy a condo, rent the condo, and then options for returning to the condo later, which included a condo in an exotic place where we might want to live later, with a boat dock. For each of these, I mapped assumptions. Equity potential over time, taxes, deductions, and implications of rental income, etc., Doing this, I was able to bring to light questions I didn't consider before, like turning the house into a rental property and the capital gains implications of that after three years. 
I was also looking at an aging adjustable rate mortgage that was stupid low. But at this time, the mortgage rates looked to be trending upwards. And because of the adjustable, the decision was time sensitive as well. I'll be honest, this exercise took months and my accountant and realtor friends nearly fired me for all the questions I asked them on this matter. Anyway, this helped us make a decision on what we could do with the house and what made most logical sense for our personal situation. This was super helpful and took the constant emotional flip-flopping off the table, but was very, very time-consuming. The net of it was converting my existing property to a rental would not be the best leverage for our money or objectives. The rental rates on the property were high, but the expenses were also high, so it didn't give us much cash flow. Also, the property had nearly doubled in value over the 20 years, and there just wasn't much more headroom. As we started to see a recession on the horizon, that would limit our options later because we would be forced to hold onto the house for potentially another eight years. Step five, creating your financial strategy assumptions. With all this basic information and the discussions my husband and I had had at this part of the process, we could get on the same page about our plan assumptions. With all the basic costs mapped out on what we were actually going to need to spend money on in the pre-live-aboard time frame and what it would take to live on the boat for a five-year period of time, we were able to have discussions about where we might want to cut expenses to save, whether it made more sense to buy a used boat or switch to a monorail for cost purposes, or rethink our entire plans. It took us some time to get through all the topics and get on the same page, but this was time well spent. For couples who've been together for a while, perhaps this would come more easily. But my husband and I were together 10 years as a remarried couple with a blended family. So up to this point, we managed all our money separately, like I mentioned before. Now that we had the basic assumptions mapped out and our priorities set, for example, we would rather have the option of more time on the boat and figure out how to augment our income than cast off for a shorter amount of time and not think about work at all. It was important for us to be clear on our priorities when it came to things like this. So the lesson up to this point that I learned was, there's definitely a way to consider living on a boat. When I first set out, I didn't even think it was possible at all. And through these five first steps, I started to see how it might be possible. Of course, it's always possible to sell everything, buy a boat, and worry about the rest later. But for me, I really needed to know that I wouldn't be moving in with my adult kids 10 years from now so they would take care of me. Did you hear that, kids? You're welcome. Okay, so I've covered what it takes to get the first pass at a financial strategy in this first part of this podcast series. In the next episode, I'll talk about pulling it all together and putting a financial plan into action. So make sure you subscribe and look out for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, like, or share with another covert castaway. Fair winds for now.